If I were to ask you right now to close your eyes and do an exercise, close your eyes and imagine what is God like? What would you imagine? What would you see? Uh, How does God look to you? How does God look at you? How does God look upon you? What characteristics does God possess? What is God's demeanor toward you on your good days? What is God's demeanor toward you on your bad days? A.W. Tozer, the well-known pastor and theologian in his famous book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I remember the first time I read that, it's on page one of his book, and I thought, that's a big statement. The most, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I thought, man, that's a big statement. And then he follows it up with this. He says, we tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And what he's saying there is how we imagine God, how we understand God to be, how we see God, that determines how we approach him and whether we approach him. So if you view God as an ornery boss, right, (laughs) you may do what he says, but you won't do it out of any sense of joy or any sense of love for him. You'll, you'll, you'll act as an employee to an employer. If you view God as a disappointed father, you won't run to him when you're hurting, but you'll, you'll run from him. If you simply view God as weak and incapable un, uh, of solving, uh, uh, of being powerful enough to to fight your battles for you, you just won't approach him when you're in need. You see, how we think about God dictates whether or not and how we trust, believe, love, obey, and draw near to him. What we think about God, when we think about God, is the most important thing about us because it determines the very direction of our lives. We've been, over this entire summer, we've been in a teaching series called How to Deal with How You Feel. And we've gone through the Psalms where we've looked at various emotions and feelings, fear, worry, anxiety, doubt, or betrayal, hurt, those sort of things. And this, today's message is not a part of that series, but I do think it helps us tie it all together as we sort of begin a new fall together as a church. Next week, we're going to start studying the book of 1 John. It's one of my favorite little New Testament books. Um, But I think this sermon will help us tie together all that we've learned about this summer when it comes to feelings and how to deal with our emotions. Because we all face situations in our lives where we feel ashamed, where we feel guilty, where we feel lonely, where we feel betrayed or hurt or afraid. And in these moments when we have these feelings, what we believe about God when we feel these feelings determines what we do with the feelings. So our text today is Psalm 18, and it's written by King David. And if there's anybody in the scriptures that has felt all the feelings, it's King David, right? I mean, King David is a man who felt it all. He was a songwriter. And so he, he's, he, he lays out his heart all through the Psalms, but he wasn't just a songwriter. He was a king. He was a shepherd. He was a warrior. Um, he had all kinds of victories in his life. He slayed Goliath. He slayed giants. He defeated bears and lions. I mean, he was a king and he had victories as a king, but he also had some big failures in his life, some major catastrophic failures in his life. 
And what was able, how was David able to keep going and remain a man committed to God's own heart through it all? The answer is his vision of God. Um, in fact, uh, Samuel wrote, uh, Samuel was a prophet. Samuel was the one who wrote the biography of David. So the book of First and Second Samuel in your Bible is, for, the, for much of it, is a biography of King David, and it's written by Samuel. And at the end of, uh, of Second Samuel, in Second Samuel chapter 22, Samuel is recording David's death. And he chooses a psalm from the book of Psalms to sort of eulogize David and sort of summarize what David was all about and what psalm did Samuel choose. He chose our psalm today, which is Psalm 18. And he, he, Samuel is showing us that one, that this psalm is sort of the quintessential, you get to see David's heart in this psalm. But he's also showing us that in the end, the single most characteristic thing about David is that he loved God and he knew God. What David thought about when he thought about God defined his life through the ups and the downs, through the hills and the valleys, and through all of the emotions, all the feels. He, it was his vision of God that got him through. So Psalm 18, this is what David says, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read excerpts from it because it's very, very long. But David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. And the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be appraised and I am saved from my enemies. In verse six, he recalls God's faithfulness in a difficult time in his life. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. In verse 28, he begins telling of the strength and of the guidance that God gives his people. He says, for it is you who lights my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you, O Lord, I can run against a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. That's a vision of God, isn't it? He continues, he says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. And he ends like this. He says, for this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is God's word. And what I love about this psalm is that David sees God everywhere. David saw God everywhere. His, the way he uses metaphors, uh, everything reminded David of God's strength and his goodness. He's going, deer, 
reminds me of God. Lamps reminds me of God. Rock reminds me of God. That mountain over there reminds me of God. A sh- my shield I'm holding reminds me of God. That, 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 little, that little hole in the mountain that you grab, the stronghold when you're rock climbing, reminds me of God. David, every, he is, his mind is so fixed on God that everything he sees is, is a metaphor for God's character. And we could mine the depths of Psalm 18 until Christmas if we wanted. Um, But I want us to consider just a few images that David gives us for God that I think will help us. Because what we imagine God to be like is the most important thing we can think about. And David gives us images that will help us imagine God correctly. That will help us think about God correctly and trust him and run to him in our times of need. And so the first image that David gives he says, the Lord is my rock. I love it. This is one of the more common images that the Bible gives for God. 28 times, by my count, in the Psalter or the book of Psalms, the Lord is referred to as our rock. Five times in this Psalm alone, God is referred to as our rock. In, in this Psalm particularly, in verses 1 and 2, it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. In verse 31, it says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Verse 46, he says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. In Psalm 62, it's written, Truly, God is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock. Now think about this image for a moment. Um, My in-laws live in western North Carolina. If you've ever been to the Blue Ridge Mountains, you know how incredibly beautiful they are. But you also know how incredibly carsick you can get when driving through the mountains because it winds and it it does all of that. But one of the things that always amazes me when I'm driving to my in-laws is the way we have engineered tunnels through the faces of mountains. I mean, the dynamite and the engineering that it takes to blow a hole through a mountain just baffles me. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't have explosives or drills. And so they, didn't, they weren't able to take dominion over the mountains like we are today. You see, in that time, rock was an image of complete stability, complete protection. It was secure. A rock is dependable. Uh, in fact, in Psalm 61, David says a rock is the only safe place. Psalm 61, he says, God alone is my rock. Jesus said, a wise man builds his house upon a rock. See, the Lord is the rock upon whom we build our lives. We build our very lives upon the rock if we are wise. God is the very foundation of our lives that we are to build our lives upon. We sing the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You see, in many of us, we often spend our lives on a building, we often spend our time building our lives on anything other than the Lord as our rock, don't we? We lay our foundations on all sorts. We build our house upon so many things, don't we? Politicians, politics, leaders, ideologies. We build, uh, we, we build our lives upon social media influence, perhaps, your job title, your authority, your salary, your possessions maybe how attractive you are, or uh, your health, 
how fit you are, how fast you are, how strong you are. It may be your group of friends. I'm with the right group. The right people like me. Your hobbies, skills, achievements, number of kids you have, number of grandkids you have, whether they come home and visit at Christmas, all sorts of things. We build our lives on all sorts of things. And whatever it is, we have a tendency to want to build our lives on foundations that are at best shaky. Politicians will always disappoint you. Ideologies will go out of fashion. Your health will go away in a moment. And it doesn't matter how pretty you are, there are people in the world who don't think you are attractive. Friends are fickle, and they can come and go. So are boyfriends, so are girlfriends. There will always be someone more talented than you. There will always be someone with more prestige or more authority or more money than you. There will always be someone with a nicer house or better vacations than you. Children can disappoint you. Spouses can disappoint you. Churches can disappoint you. The, all the, these are all good things, right? But if they are the thing that we build our foundation of our lives upon, our lives are built on shaky ground. But if the foundation of your soul and your life and your joy is on God as your rock, even if the other things around you in your life crumble to the ground, your foundation can remain solid. And you'll be able to stand even through 7.0 earthquakes in your life. And the thing is, this is not some random metaphor for David when he says, God is my rock. This isn't just, just a songwriter using an image to talk about God. David, it was a literal rock that saved his life. If you remember when he was younger, um, he was crowned to be king, but he wasn't king yet. And the current king, King Saul, didn't like him and wanted to kill him. And so King Saul destroyed his reputation among the people of Israel. King Saul was chasing after him with all the might of the uh, armies of Israel. And so David had all, everything crumble around him. All the people he thought were friends turned on him because his reputation was tarnished. The king of Israel, Saul, was trying to murder him. Um, he, uh, he had to run from his home as a fugitive, and he was all alone. Think of how to deal with how you feel, the series we just went through. Shame, guilt, hurt, betrayal, loneliness, fear, all of it. He felt it all. And where did he go? A rock. He hid in a rock from King Saul until that moment passed. And so when David says, the Lord is my mighty rock, he is saying that their fame and reputation and status and wealth and power and authority and relationships can all fall away. And they did in David's life. But he says, the Lord will always be a mighty rock in whom you can take refuge. The Lord is my rock. That's the first image he gives us. And then the second image is that of a refuge. He says, the Lord is my rock in whom I take refuge. He says, God is my ro the rock of refuge. Now, what is a refuge? A refuge is a safe place you run to when you're in danger. Or to maybe bring it to the ground level, a refuge is where you go when you're stressed, when you're tired, when you're lonely, when you're ashamed, when you're afraid. It's a universal need for all of us. We have to have somewhere to run when there's fear or um, disorder in our lives. Um, animals have holes that they run to when they're afraid or they're, when they're attacked. Children, when they're playing tag, have home base. When you play laser tag, you know, uh, there is a home base. There's a place where you can take refuge. And the, refuge, the refuges that we choose in our lives when we're stressed, when we're lonely, when we're tired, when we're afraid, when we're ashamed, 
Um, our home bases that we choose, where we run when we feel the things, often reveals our lack of trust in God and reveals that we don't actually view God as refuge. We view other things as our refuge. Pornography, food, isolation, bitterness, gossip. We often think, if I can cut someone else down, I will feel safe about myself. We run to television, we run to our phones, we run to alcohol, we run to drugs. Some of those things are good things. Some of them, not so much. But when we run to those things to ease our pain and to be our refuge, that's not a good thing. Our refuge is because what they often do is they serve to take our eyes off of God, the thing we need the most. You see, Psalms, the Psalms tell us, and David tells us, that God is our refuge. Psalm 91, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Psalm 61, it says, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I love that image. Let me dwell in your tent forever where I can find refuge. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. I love how David expands this image of a refuge. It's a strong tower. It's a tent. It's a home. It's a house. But then finally he says, I take refuge under the shelter of your wings. What a beautiful image that our refuge is under the cover, under the wings of God himself. God encompassing and covering his children and protecting us. Um, in 2011, my home state where I grew up uh, was hit with just a, uh, I mean, just a bang, bang, bang series of tornadoes. And it wreaked havoc on part of the state. And in the days that followed, story after story after story came out of parents who physically covered their children with their own bodies as the tornadoes ripped through their homes. And as sort of the rubble was cleared away and as the, uh, the paramedics sort of did their jobs, we found out that multiple parents throughout the state had given their lives to save their children. This is an image of what Jesus has done for us. So what threatens us? What is the tornado that is coming through our lives? What, are, what sends us to our refuges? Shame, guilt, fear, loneliness, hurt, these are our enemies. These are the tornadoes that can wreak havoc on our lives. And Jesus covers us from all of these things. He is our refuge. Like a parent covering their, child, their child, God covers us from the effects of these things. Think of our shame and guilt. The shame and the guilt we feel over our sin and over our mistakes and over our failures. Jesus clothed himself in our sin and died in our place on the cross. He covered us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What about fear? Jesus endured the very worst thing that could happen to any of us, which is death. And he defeated it. And so we now have, we don't have to fear death. Oh, death, where is your sting? We can say because we've been covered by Christ. What about loneliness? Jesus, his resurrection offers us a new life, a life in the family of God, where we have a father who loves us, who will never leave us or forsake us. We may feel lonely today, but God is with us always. And hurt and betrayal and pain and all of those other things that we feel, the scriptures promise us that in the resurrection life, Jesus will wipe away our tears. And so when we feel these negative feelings, these enemies of the soul, these enemies of the mind, uh, when we feel these things, we're, we're tempted to run toward despair, right? 
We're tempted to run toward these refuges that cannot protect us. But if we remember what we know to be true and what David teaches us here, we know that we have a safe place to run. In Christ, we don't have to be overwhelmed and overtaken by our sin and our failures or even our feelings. The Lord is our refuge. He is our safety. And for those who take refuge in him, David says he is our shield. Verse 30 says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So third metaphor, image I want you to see is that he is a shield. And you see how they're all connected. He is a shield. The Lord is my shield. Now, when when is a shield necessary? I know you're probably thinking Avengers right now and Captain America. When is a shield necessary? Uh, when, When you're in battle. You only need a shield when you're facing danger. When you're afraid, Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, do not be afraid for I am your shield. He tells Abraham, keep going forward, keep obeying, keep trusting me and your reward shall be very great. That's what God told Abraham. And here's the thing about shields. Shields only work when you're walking forward. If you're holding a shield and you're in battle and you retreat and run this way, that shield's not doing you any good. You're going to get shot in the backside. Sometimes following the orders of a king will lead you into a battle. And that's why you need a shield. And sometimes it feels terrible to move forward. Obedience to God's commands can often be difficult. But everything that God calls us to, every scary thing that God might invite you into, everything he calls you, every command he uh, uh, demands that you obey, um, every one of those things, Jesus says, along the way, I'm the shield to help you as you go. You see, when you face the difficult emotions of life, difficult circumstances or situations, you can be tempted to do anything else but keep pressing forward. Often God allows hard things into our lives. And often God calls us into hard things. And when he does this, we may not want to move forward. Because it's scary. If I gave that away, God, would I be okay? If I I brought that person into my life, will I get hurt? Will I be safe? Uh, If I obey you, God, how will my life play out? It's scary, but what is your alternative? Retreat, shield only works when you're going forward. Following God, in following God, you must keep moving forward in obedience and trusting that what he calls you to, he will shield you as you go through it. Uh, George MacDonald uh, was the hero of C.S. Lewis. If you like, if you like the Chronicles of Narnia, um, it was George MacDonald who inspired C.S. Lewis. It was his favorite author. And A couple of years ago, I read the story, The Princess and the Goblin, to my daughters. Uh, We read, we do bedtime stories every night. We read big, long books together. And a couple of years ago, we read The Princess and the Goblin. And The Princess and the Goblin, it's a story about an eight-year-old princess named Irene. And she found an attic in the room of her, her castle. So she goes up in the attic, and every so often in the attic, her late great, great grandmother will appear to her in the attic. No one else sees her. But Irene sees her. And her grandmother is kind. Her grandmother understands her like no one else. She feels safe and she feels loved when she's in the presence of her grandmother. Well, one day her grandmother, uh, Irene's grandmother, gives her a ring. And there's a thread tied to it. 
And her grandmother says, I am always holding the thread. It will always lead you to me. If you ever find yourself in danger, follow the thread wherever it takes you. And Irene said, how delightful, grandmother, because I know it will always lead to you. To which the grandmother says, yes, it will lead you to me, but it may seem a very roundabout way, but you must never doubt the thread. Because while you hold on to the thread, I'm holding on to it as well. And so a few days later, as you can imagine, this is a children's story, adventure, and, you know, excitement. A few days later, a goblin shows up in her hallway at night. And so uh, Irene grabs the ring and she begins following the thread. And the thread doesn't lead her to the attic, but it leads her out of the castle and it leads her outside And it actually takes her into a cave of goblins where she encounters many dangers along with her friend, Curdy. And when they try to retreat, they say, this is too scary. They try to turn around and go backwards. The thread vanishes. You see, it only works going forward. So they continue following the thread forward. And it leads them, after many trials and tribulations, it leads them back to her grandmother. See, the thread proved itself trustworthy because Irene's grandmother was always trustworthy, but it only worked moving forward. And when Jesus says, follow me, we may not have any clue where he's leading us. We may not have any clue where that journey will take us. Life is full of all sorts of challenges and fears, and we may face all kinds of goblins in this life. And we may encounter many enemies, but we must remember and trust that he is our shield as we journey on with him. He is trustworthy, so we press forward because we know that it doesn't work in reverse. His protection is with us when we are obedient to him and we walk in the way that he has called us to walk. So we see that Jesus, or God is a rock, a refuge, and a shield. And these things together show us what God is like. He is our rock. He gives us a foundation to build our lives upon. He's our refuge. He gives us salvation. He is our shield. He is our protection, and he helps us keep going. And we've spent the summer studying all these various feelings and emotions, fear, worry, guilt, shame, hurt, loneliness. And when you come up against those feelings, those enemies of our heart and soul, what you believe about God will dictate how you move forward when you feel those feelings and whether you find victory in God or whether you seek refuge in something else. And the truth is you may feel a certain way and those feelings are real and they are valid But what you must know and what we know about God ought to be stronger than what we feel about the life we're living is that God is our rock, he is our refuge, and he is our shield. One last metaphor that David uses in this passage is he calls God the horn of our salvation. And I did a bunch of research this week on what the horn of salvation was. And for me to really explain that would take 30 minutes. So that's another sermon. I'll save that for later. But what it reminds me of uh, is, you remember in Lion with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Santa Claus comes in. You're like, you're like, where did Santa Claus come from in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? But Father Christmas comes in, and he gives the children gifts. And he gives Queen Susan, he, do you remember what he gave her? He gave her a horn. And Father Christmas said, whenever you are in danger, you blow on this horn, and salvation will be near. And 
God is our rock, our refuge, and our shield. All those things put together tell us that he is our salvation. But he's only our salvation if we call upon him. The scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is what we see in the scriptures is that God is all these things. But he is the horn of our salvation. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah says that Jesus is the ultimate horn of our salvation. And it's him we must call on if we want to experience all these beautiful characteristics of God. So if you've never called upon Jesus today, I invite you, you're going, you may feel like you're getting buried by all your feelings and by all your circumstances and all your situations. Maybe you are living with shame and guilt and wondering if God could ever love you, forgive you, welcome you. I want you to remember that not only is he our rock, our refuge, and our shield, but he is our salvation. And we must call on him and salvation will always be near because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let me pray for you, Crossroads. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of the gospel that your son Jesus came and has made a way for us to take refuge and shelter in you and that Jesus has covered us by clothing himself with our sin and dying on the cross for our sins and then clothing us with his righteousness. And God, you are our shield. You have given us your spirit and promise that if we obey you, your spirit will be with us and that you will lead us and that you will guide us. And so God, we trust in you today and God, I pray that, if, that, that we will call upon you as the horn of our salvation. And it's all these things we pray in your name. Amen. Would you please stand?